We've been in the Word of God looking at the topic of doubt, how we can become victors as, as doubters, still become victors, that we just need to learn to doubt the right things and not doubt the wrong things. We've endeavored over the last number of weeks to take on this topic of how we can know that we are one who believes in our heart and not just in our head. And once it hits you, it hits you. Once, once you get this down, you got it. It's just a matter of getting it there. And we'll, we'll do all we can. And you know, we seek after the Lord, Father God, what is it that we need to do to get this, uh, get this taken care of, to help people understand this. And so you pray with us. We're going to get this. We're going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I believe in my heart. And when we do, things change. Things change. Glory to God for that. We looked last week at Proverbs 18.20. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. <laughs> if you need to be satisfied with more, where does the increase need to come from? From your mouth. A man's stomach shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth. And from the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. Listen to the words that you speak. Is it of such things to satisfy you? This is what we were going over last week. We also told you that before there is increase in anything, there must be increase in your mouth. A number of weeks ago, and um, this is all posted on the internet now. You can go up there and get it. Christian uh, uh, was able to edit this down for us and get it all ready to go up on there. And, you know, you see him every once in a while. Just let him know you really appreciate the effort he puts on getting those things so Sunday ones ready. I know I rely on him a lot to, to do on that. And he got one on done. So we had it posted up there. And we started on that, that part about seeing. We have got to see what we believe. We've got to see it. Well, it's not happened yet. Right. But you've got to see it. You've got to be able to picture the thing through the eyes of faith. You've got to be able to see it. The woman with the issue of blood. Didn't she see it? I know if I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be healed. So what, she, what is she seeing? I'm seeing myself touch the hem of his garment. Hasn't happened yet, I know, but I'm seeing myself touch the hem of his garment. I can see it. I can see it. Now, you all do this all the time. It's just when we get into the areas of faith that it becomes difficult. How many folks have a favorite restaurant you like to go to? Let's just say it's the Outback. How many have you ever been to the Outback? Oh, yeah, we've been to the Outback. And you probably have something that's favorite from, from you. You know, of all the steaks there are in the world, there is one that is head and shoulders above all of my favorite, and that is the ribeye. I love the ribeye. And to go on into it, and you begin to think about it. Oh, I'm going to get one of those ribeyes. And you begin to see yourself sitting at the table ordering a ribeye steak, right? With loaded mashed potatoes. And a nice tall Diet Coke. And you begin to see this. And you begin to... Don't, don't you do that? Whenever you go to a restaurant, are you blank? When you, when you go to a restaurant, don't you begin to say, Well, I, how about if you go here? No. Why? Because I can't see myself ordering anything from there. Well, how about if we go over... No. I was just there. I really don't see myself ordering anything else. Don't we see ourselves doing this all the time? We need to begin to see ourselves in the eyes of faith of receiving the things that God has promised us, that God has given to us. 
We need to see it. We also told you last week, we or I, whatever you know we need or I need, is not a faith statement. It is not a faith statement. Need is not having. Isn't that right? If, if I say I need, does that not mean I don't have? That's what I thought it meant too. Need is not having. Need is lack. So if I go before God and I say, Father God, I need, what am I professing? I have lack and that there's something I don't have. Now, people do this all the time, don't we? People in the Bible did this all the time. They went to God with, well, I don't have, well, I need, well, I want. It just didn't impress God. When Abraham, when God showed up with Abraham, hi, Abraham, how you doing? Well, I could be doing better. You know, I don't have an heir. What's he saying? I got lack. I don't have something. And God was an old man of great faith. And an heir was born to him the next day, right? No, it took quite a while from there, didn't it? Because he, all he can see is what's in front of him. And so God would take him out, look up in the stars, look up at the sky. Look, do you see? Count them. If you can count them, you can count your descendants. Then another time when it was probably daytime, can't see the stars, took him out to the sand. Look at the sand and... Can you count the sand? Look at the sand. Each one of those represents one of your descendants. Can you see it? We've got to see these things. Well, I can't. Well, that's your fault. It's not God's. Psalm 23, we read before you, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Oh, dear Lord. Dear Lord, that whole, that whole psalm. You know, everybody loves the psalm. Oh, we just like them. They make us feel so good. But don't think doctrine, huh? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have no need. Stop coming to God with, well, I need, I, I don't have. We need to quit it. We need to see ourselves as having this thing taken care of. We need to see ourselves as receiving that thing. See it. We need to see it. There was a college student who was taking the course. I don't even know if I could say this right. This is how far away from this I am. Ornithology. And get that right? Study of birds. Personally, I don't study birds. I see them every now and then. I enjoy them. My wife likes to feed them. We have bird things set up in that yard, you know, bird baths and a bird house and a bird feeder. But he was taking his class on birds. And it had the reputation in the school of being one of the toughest classes to take. But you had to take it. It was, a, it was not an option. The professor, professor was extremely difficult. Everyone feared him. Anybody go to school and have a professor that everybody feared? This was this one. So we had to take it. As the course began, the professor announced there would be a test in 40 days. In 40 days, there would be a test. It would compose a large portion of the grade. So if you didn't do well... You weren't going to get a good grade. You had to do well in this test in 40 days. So the students began counting and they were taking notes, feverish notes, and trying to get all the things done and studied on, the, on it. And came to the 40th day. It's test day. And they came on in. No one knows what to expect. They just know it's test day. And 
it's going to com- comprise a whole lot of your grade. So they came on in. They studied everything they could possibly study. They came on into the class. And they saw in the front five cages. They were covered. And so the professor went over and he pulled the cover up just a little bit on each one so as to expose the feet of each of the five birds. Then he says, your assignment is you must identify all five birds by looking at their feet. The students had no idea. How do you prepare for a test like this? They didn't even know you're looking at the feet. And the class was silent for a while. They're trying to figure this out. They're tapping into everything they possibly can to try and come up with this. Finally, one student got fed up with it and said, this is ridiculous. There is no way that we can tell who those birds are by looking at their feet. He got up and he stormed out of the class and he said, that's it, I quit this class. And on his way out, the professor got up hastily and, and went after him and said, hold on there, young man, hold on. What is your name? And the man came back to him and he pulled up his pant legs. <laughs> Oh, my. You tell me who I am. (laughs) Confusion came in the class. Because no one knew what to expect. No one knew how to get out of this thing or what to do. We want to look today at confusion. Because sometimes in our life, we have faced some things that have caused us confusion. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. If God is not the author of confusion, where did it come from? Where did it come from? But too often, folks, we are confused on matters that we face. Faith matters. Healings. Somebody died. Some tragedy came along. And we have confusion in that area. We're not sure. We're confused. And we blame God. God, I don't know why you let this happen. God, I don't understand what you're doing. How many times have we done that? We're blaming God for the confusion, and yet the Word of God says, for God is not the author of confusion. Isn't that what your Bible says? But of... So we get into a situation, and we are not in peace, we're in confusion, and what do we say? God, what are you doing here? I don't understand why I'm still sick. I don't understand why this thing still bothers me. I don't understand why I don't have a job yet. I don't understand why the financial need is still here. I believe in you. Well, we're going to look at three things here. Three steps. Not steps to... But three, three places that we find ourselves. That first off, in, um, in Matthew... Let's read Matthew chapter 19, verse 23 first. Then Jesus said to His disciples, Assuredly I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Now understand, the reason that they were astonished was because they were... If they were poor, they don't care. They were rich. They had money. Most of them had money. A couple of them were in business for themselves. They owned their own boats. One was a tax collector. They had money. They were confused. Wait a minute, you're telling us that people with money can't get in? Why are we following you? They are confused. 
So they say, who then can be saved? Why do you ask a question, who then can be saved? Because you're confused on who can. Right? So you ask the question, well then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now we like that verse because a lot of us hang on to that. All things are possible. Father God, I thank you that all things are possible. You better get out of holding on to that verse. Because that verse is holding some Christians back. First off, it is possible. And I define that word for you. It's right there at the top. It is possible. There is a place in our development where we begin to see that it is possible. I looked up possible. It means that may or can be, exist, happen, be done. That may be true or may be the case as something concerning which one has no knowledge to the contrary. In other words, well, I don't know that to not be true, so it is possible. Because I don't know that it can't be true, therefore it is possible. It's possible. Now, if something is possible, is it going to happen? It's possible. (laughs) Right? It might happen. There's the definition again. That may or can be. Exist, happen, be done. Well, it may be. It also may not be. Now, you, you think, you know, we're entering into the hurricane season. Is it possible that a hurricane would hit the Jersey Shore and come over here and hit us? It's possible, isn't it? It is possible. When was the last time it happened? A long time ago. It's possible. There's a lot of things that are possible, but in our mind, we really don't think it's likely to happen. Just because I believe that something is possible does not mean I am in faith. In Luke chapter 18, verse 27, but he said, the things which, the, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. It's just a little different way of phrasing the same, same thing for there. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 39. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. If it is possible. In other words, it might be able to be this way. I don't know it. But it might be able to be this way, is what Jesus is saying. Mark chapter 9, verse 20. Then they brought him to... Then they brought him... To him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, fell on the ground, wallowed foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood, demon possessed guy. And he often has thrown him in both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are. All things are possible to him who believes. So if you don't believe, things are not possible. But if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands have crucified and put him to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, 
because it was not possible that he should be held by it. It was not possible that Jesus could be held by the pains of death. It was not possible. Some things are possible. This was not possible. Believing something is possible does not mean I believe it will happen for me. Believing something is possible does not mean I believe it will happen for me. Just because you sit around, well, I know all things are possible to him who believes, doesn't mean I have an ounce of faith. Doesn't mean that one bit. I can say that all that I want to. It makes no difference. Because all things are possible to him who believes. They're possible to him who believes. <laughs> Takes us up to our next one. It is probable. Some things uh, we see as being possible. Some things we see as being probable. Probable. Glory to God. Glory to God. you got something going on over here, don't you? <laughs> Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, Father God, we just com- command right now by the power and authority of Jesus' name. Knows you just be shut up right now from bleeding. In the name of Jesus, we command you right now to stop that bleeding. All pain is trying to go in through this body. In the name of Jesus, we take authority over you. You will not have rule over here. In Jesus' name, glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, it is probable. What does probable mean? Likely to occur or prove true. Having more evidence for than against. If something is probable, well, there's more evidence for it happening than against it happening. Or evidence that inclines the mind to belief, but leaves some room for doubt. Now, if, if you look at the weather report, and I'll give you a weather report today, it's not true. But if you saw a weather report for today and it said a 70% chance of rain, it is probably going to rain, right? Not for sure, but it's probably going to rain, 70% chance. That means there's more of a chance of it raining than not. My father used to always pick on the weather people when they would come out and say there's a 50% chance of rain today. He says, why don't they just say it may or may not rain? It may rain, it may not rain today. We don't know. May rain, may not rain. We don't know, so it's 50% chance of rain. <laughs> I, I realize they just do it on a scale and they're not necessarily looking at it being that way. It's, it's more than 40, it's less than 60, it's 50%. They're trying to put it in there. But really what they're saying is, it may rain, it may not. Let's just wait and see. Yeah, that was 10 minutes of your life you won't get back. Watching that weather report. It is likely to occur or prove true, having more evidence for than against, or evidence that inclines the mind to believe, but leaves some room for doubt. So we get, once we get out of the possible, well, that possibly might happen. We get into probable, and now we're seeing, well, it's more likely to happen, but there's still room for doubt. This is still not the place we ought to be as faith people. Not in the area of possible, not in the area of probable. Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, 
This is the scenario that Eve is given. You'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. So as far as she knows, she has evidence from one person. The serpent. Is it possible that the serpent is right? It's possible. But is it probable? Well, right now she has a choice. I either believe what God said or I believe what the devil said. I'm going to lean one way or the other. It's probably this or it's probably that. Some people think it may probably be this way. How many of you ever heard of weather reports that says 80% chance of rain and no rain in the sky? Nothing. Never came. Anywhere. Gone. We've heard uh, snow reports in the wintertime. An inch or two. We wake up, there's two feet. <laughs> we believed it. We put faith in it. Eve believed this. She put faith in it. And she began to think, well, I don't know for certain, but I think that this is probably right. Isn't that what she's saying? If you're going to disobey God and go and obey this, and you're thinking that, well, it's probably right. I realize that there's a chance that this could be wrong, but I think that there's more of a chance that this could be right, so I'm going to go ahead and eat the fruit. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband who ate who, uh, with her, and he ate. She became confused. Up until this point, when Satan entered in with the serpent, up until that point, is she confused about the tree? No, she knows exactly. That's the tree we don't eat from. I can eat from all these other trees, but that one I don't. And so the devil had to come in, and what he had to do was to make her confused. He had to muddy up the situation. He had to confuse it some. And so he's thinking, how is it that I can do this? What is it I can do? And he came up with a strategy to try and confuse the issue. Now, I put this in your outline. Confusion comes from considering what we shouldn't. Confusion comes from considering what we should not. Should the woman have considered what the serpent had to say? If she believed that God was God and that God said, Thou shalt not eat of the tree, there's no reason for confusion there, is there? Now, before you point the finger at Eve and get all upset with her, just understand how many times has the Word of God said to you, Thou shalt not. And we said, well, I'm confused. I don't see why I can't. And the devil comes in and says, that's right. Because if you don't, you're going to be missing out on this, 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 and this. And we begin to consider what we're missing out on by not doing this, 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 and this, right? And what do I become? Confused. We sometimes even go to God and we say, God, I'm confused on this. I'm not sure why I shouldn't stay there. Why I shouldn't get involved with this or why I shouldn't go here or why I shouldn't do this. Or... And God sitting up there and says, I don't know why you're confused. I told you. <laughs> told you exactly what to do. That's it, right? Now, we have more patience with ourselves than we do with our dogs. I didn't mention cats because this is useless with cats. You don't even try it. I mean, but if a dog, if you have a dog out there in the yard and you say, you know, dog, whatever the dog's name is, come here. What do you expect that dog to do? Now, if you have faith for a cat to do that, glory to God for you. Well, cat will come here if it feels like it. 
it's in the mood, or if it thinks you're going to give it something. Otherwise, see ya. But a dog doesn't think that way. A dog is wired differently. And, oh, the master wants me to come. And they, they get on in there, right? But when you say to the dog, dog, come here. What do you expect? I expect the dog to come here. How many, have you ever said that to a dog and the dog just kind of kind of fluttered about? Didn't really come over to where you were? And it's just doing its own thing? What's that doing inside of you? You say, oh, look at that. The poor dog's confused. Doesn't know what she should do. What happens on the inside of you when you call out the command for that dog? Dog, come here. And the dog just kind of... What comes out of your mouth next? Sterner. Louder. More forceful. Dog, get over here. And if the dog still doesn't listen, eventually we, we stop calling and we go over and we get the dog. And not generally in a very pleasant way. We don't get over there and you know, cuddle it and bring it back up. Oh, you didn't hear me, did you? No, we go over there and we grab that dog and we bring it on over. I say, come here. And I say, come here. You come here. Right? We expect that out of our dogs, but we don't expect it out of us. <laughs> you know, if God says, thou shalt not... I don't know about that, God. I'm just going to kind of stay over here for a little bit. Just kind of hang out over. It's kind of nice over here. I know you said don't get involved in this stuff and stay out of here, but you know, this is, I'm kind of enjoying myself over here, and I'm not sure why you said not to do this, because it's kind of fun. And then you'll go out the next day, and your dog won't come, and you'll get mad at it. We expect more obedience out of our dogs to us than, over, than us to God. And you know what? We didn't die for our dog. But our Savior sure died for us. I think you ought to get a little bit more obedience from us. But you know, we do the same thing that Eve did. We question it. Well, God, what are you trying to keep me from? Not let me eat from this fruit over here. I've been looking at this fruit for a while. And you know, I've been wondering to myself, why shouldn't I eat this fruit? The fruit looks good. Good to the eyes. Looks like it tastes good, but I don't know what it tastes like because you know, I can't taste it. We get confused. Confusion comes from considering what we should not. Well, how many times have we been to the doctor? And thank God for doctors. You know, doctors help us out of stuff. Some doctors have kept you alive when your faith wasn't ready to. Glory to God for doctors. You know, doctors are just fine. You want to grow up and be a doctor? Grow up and be a doctor. Help people out. It's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Luke was a doctor. I think Jesus kind of liked Luke. Let this Gentile hang out with the rest of them. Must have liked him for something. But see, we get confused. We get into the doctor's office and the doctor says, got some bad news for you. I'm afraid you got this and your life will never be the same again. This will always be there. Give you some examples. Go into the doctor's office. You got high blood pressure. You got a condition. You'll always have high blood pressure. You're going to, have to take medication to keep the blood pressure under control. You have to do this and you have to do that and you have to restrict your lifestyle and all these different things. Your kidneys are failing. Your liver's failing. You're going to, have to watch this and not do this and stay away from this and, and so forth. So we hear that and we, we buy into it. And what happens to us inside? 
We come out of there confused. Father, I thought I was healed. I thought I was set free. Now I'm finding out that I'm going to be bound up for the rest of my life taking this medication. Hmm. We come out of there confused. Well, the doctor's just telling you the best thing that he can from where he stands. But why is it that you've got to buy into it that way? Now, you may have high blood pressure if you, if you have that. You know, that's a condition that can be changed. I don't have high blood pressure. I have absolutely 100% totally perfect blood pressure. Every time I go into the doctor's office, it is always the same. Always the same. In fact, if they took that one, one time, I was in the, just the last time I was in the hospital, they took it, it was low. I said, you need to take that again because it's, it's wrong. Because <laughs> it was wrong. I just, I know it's not that, not that way. There was one time I had my blood pressure taken and it was high. I went to give blood. Never tell you that story. Went out to give blood, and uh, we they gave blood in my church, my youth group I was in. They were giving blood, so I went on out to the church, and, to give blood. And so, uh, you know, they take you through all the different steps, and they took my blood pressure, and my blood pressure was through the roof. And the guy just looked at me, and he goes, "What did you run over here?" I said, "Yeah." <laughs> oh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> so he let me go on through. So I went on through and gave blood. First time ever I got faint taking blood. They just came right on out. <laughs> and I planned on running home afterwards. You know, for me, it was only four miles away. It wasn't like it was that far. That's just the, That was my mindset on the whole thing. But that's the only time they ever took blood pressure and I had blood pressure high. If they ever took my blood pressure and it was different, I'd tell them, you got it wrong. Take it again. Because it's just not right. And sometimes we just got to... You know, Ethel's had her stories about stuff. You know, do that again. That test was wrong. She's come and told us about some of those. That's, that's, well, you don't get confused in the thing. You stay there and say, no, this is what the Word of God says. Now, the doctor says you've got high blood pressure. All right, you can. All right, well, we're we'll, going to work on this thing. But, you know, if you can speak to fig trees, mountains for them to be moved and cast into the sea, if you can speak to fish that they have money in their mouths, why can't you speak to your blood pressure? And command the thing, you are going down. You are going to be normal. Kidneys, you're going to work. Liver, you are not failing me. Speak to it. Talk to it. Instead, what do we do? We go around, we get all confused, and we get, oh, the doctor said I'm going to die. The doctor said I had high blood pressure. The doctor said my kidneys are failing. I'm going to be on dialysis in a couple of months. Why are you saying that? They can have the things that you say. Why would you say that? Is that what you want to have? Well, I don't. It, it's because of a belief problem, folks. We believe more what the doctor said than what God said. Eve believed more what the serpent said than what God said. Got her in all kinds of trouble. Go over to Elijah, or First uh, Kings chapter eighteen. We're going to look at Elijah. First Kings eighteen. The whole story is good. We're going to pick up at verse twenty. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel because you know they were had the prophets of Baal and. He was the only one left. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? What was Eve's problem? Well, I got the serpent's opinion. And his opinion is that the tree would make me wise. Then I got God's opinion. And God's opinion is that the tree would kill me. So I got one person telling me to make me wise. Another one telling me to make me dead, and she's vacillating between the two. That causes confusion, doesn't it? 
So what did she, she finally ended up siding on one side, just sided on the wrong side. And it didn't go so well for her. So Elijah just says, why in the world vacillate between two opinions? Why do this? Why are you faltering between two? If the Lord is God, follow Him. If Baal, follow Him. But the people answered him, not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone and left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give, up, give us two bulls. Let them choose one bull for themselves. They get to pick. They bring up two, I take whatever one they don't want. And let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, He is God. So the people all answered and said, that's yeah, well, that's a good idea. I like this idea. This is good. So now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourself and prepare it first, for you are many. Call on the name of your God and put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given to them and they prepared for it. Called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice and no one answered. Then they leaped upon the altar which they made. I don't know if you're thinking that God's going to send fire down on the altar. I don't think I'm leaping on the altar. That's just me, though. So I'm wondering what their belief was really like. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he's busy, or he's on a journey. Perhaps he is sleeping, must be awakened. So they cried, they listened to him. They cried aloud, <laughs> cut themselves, as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. Isn't it amazing some of the things that some religions ask people to do and God doesn't ask them to do any of that at all and people will still flock to some of these other religions? The bondage that the Muslim religion puts upon people and yet people will still flock to it and go to it despite it. The way that it treats people and yet people still go to it. You can go down and look at all the other ones too, but... These folks was their custom. They brought out knives and lances until blood gushed out on them. That's bad news. Could you imagine if we had a blood gushing ceremony? Come on out to church on Saturday. We're all going to cut ourselves until the blood gushes. How many of y'all are coming? <laughs> mm -mm. I'm not into that blood gushing stuff. Uh-uh. No. I'll stay home from that one. But here they are, voluntarily doing this sort of thing. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him. I mean, they, he couldn't say they didn't give him enough time. All morning, all the way up until the evening sacrifice, he starts razzing on them, taunting them. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two saves of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the, pieces in, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood and said, Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. 
there's a drought going on. If you're wondering where the water came from, it probably came from the uh, salt water that was near there. I don't think they would have used fresh water, but who knows? But they're up on a mountain. So he had to get people to go down the mountain, get the water, bring it up, and then go down the mountain again, get the water, bring it up. However many times it took to get all that water. Then he said, do it a second time. He did it a second time. Do it a third time. He did it a third time. So the water ran all around. I don't know, at some point you might be saying, you know what, Elijah, go get your own water. So the water ran all around the altar and he also filled the trench with water and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Does, uh, do you get the slightest idea that Elijah thinks that it is possible to happen? Do you get the idea that Elijah thinks it is probable? Elijah is on the side of it's going to happen. It's, it's not just possible. It's not just probable. It is going to happen. I know so much is going to happen we can douse this thing with water. I can let those guys go on all day because I know that's not possible. That is not going to happen. But this one is possible. This one is probable. In fact, it is going to happen. And so this is how he operates. And he puts, look, God, put the water on it. Do it a second time. Do it a third time. Pour the water on it. Then the fire of the Lord fell down and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And it got answered by fire. Well, you know, Elijah is confident. He knows God is going to answer by fire. When you know for certain that a thing is going to happen, it's not just possible, it's not just probable, but it is going to happen. What does that do to you on the inside? Doesn't that change the way that you approach the thing? Let's just say for a minute that you knew beyond any shadow of a doubt, however it was that you got the information, that it was going to snow this afternoon. You knew it. However you got the information, a dream, God gave you a dream in the nighttime, or however it was, you got the information, it is going to snow this afternoon. You didn't think it was just possible. It's not just probable. It is going to happen. If you have that inside knowledge, what do you want to do with it? Do you feel like being quiet and after it happens, let everybody know, I knew this was coming. No, what do you want to do? I want people to know before it happens that I know it's coming. Isn't that how you want to do it? I know it. It's going to snow today. And you all know the response you're going to get from people, right? You know it. This is what makes it even more fun. I know it's going to snow today. Oh, it will not snow. It's never snowed here in July. I know it, but I know it's going to snow today. Today, this afternoon, you watch, it's going to snow. And you go and you tell everybody you can, it's going to snow today, it's going to snow today, it's going to snow today. Now, most people are looking at this, this is not possible. Not only is it not possible, it's not even probable. It's not going to happen. The evidence is far against you. It's not going to happen. But what are you doing? It just makes you more and more if you know for sure that it's going to happen. If you know for sure it's going to happen. I remember watching some of those movies that have the time machines. 
Doesn't that get you thinking? Boy, if I had a time machine, and I could just kind of jump ahead a couple days, a few weeks, find out what was going to happen, take some notes, and come on back. I know this is going to happen. And so, you know, you, you write down all the different things. Maybe you go out there and you buy a lottery ticket. I bought a lottery ticket. You know this lottery ticket's going to win? Everybody thinks that. Yeah, I know everybody thinks that, but mine's going to win. How do you know? Because I know it. Tell you what, I'll make a bet with you. I'll bet your house that my lottery ticket wins. If I, if I am wrong, then you get my house. But if I'm right, I get your house. What is that person going to think? Well, man, I got, this is an easy deal for me. All right, fine, I'm going to do that. But I get your house. Yeah, you get my house. <laughs> and it's this ticket right here. I'm going to write down the numbers. All right, you write down the numbers. But you see, our confidence is such that when we know that the thing is going to happen, we, beget, we can become bolder inside. We begin to declare things to people that sound outlandish because we have the confidence to know it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. And we just can't wait for what, what time they do the lottery thing? 7 o'clock, 6 o'clock? I don't know what time they do it. Whatever time they do it, they, they pull it. And then, you know, 7.01, 6.01, whatever time it's, you're calling up your friend. Got that house ready? I'm moving in tomorrow. We're ready. You see, when you know the end result before it happens, it changes the way that you act. It changes the way that you act. You don't act the same way. It's the uncertainty that causes us to act in a way of doubt and unbelief. Because I think it's possible. I might even think it's probable, but I don't know. I'm not sure. Elijah does not only think that this is possible, not only that this is probable, he knows fire is coming down. Now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. How many prophets of Baal were there? 400. How many prophets of the Lord were there? One. One guy set it up to kill 450 prophets of Baal. One guy. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. And yet there wasn't a cloud in the sky. If you keep on reading the story, you find out there was not a cloud in the sky. And he went up and prayed, and there was still no cloud in the sky. But he said, Go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. In other words, no longer change your behavior and act like people that are involved in a drought. I'm telling you right now, the drought is over. Go on home and right now live like the drought is over. Well, if you just saw the guy call down fire from heaven and have the confidence, don't you think you can call down rain? I mean, if you can call down fire, probably can call down rain. And he already knows that he's the one who shut up the heavens because he prayed. He blamed them all the time. Elijah, it's your fault. So are we faltering between two opinions? Are we faltering between two opinions? Which opinion do we need to go with? We need to find out what God's opinion is and stay with it. What does God think I should do? What does God think? I sh how should I order my behavior? What should I do? If God says, thou shalt not, should I? <laughs> should I consider it? 
If we are unsettled on a thing, it is because we are undecided. I haven't decided which way I'm going to believe yet. So we're unsettled. And that's what Elijah's trying to do. Get unsettled. Stop faltering between two. Either you're people who follow the Lord or you're people who follow Baal. So let's just settle it right here. Which one are you going to be? And, you know, don't just pick. Let's have the God show up. Whichever one shows up by fire, you believe that one. All right, that's good. Because, I mean, if, if you were there and a God was going to answer by fire, shooting fire down from heaven, would you, answer, would you believe Him? So we have it's possible. We have it's probable. Here's the one we ought to be in. Here's the place where we need to be. It is promised. Promise is a declaration that something will or will not be done or given. An expressed assurance on which expectation is to be based. Boy, I like that one. An expressed assurance on which expectation is to be based. Something that has the effect of, a, of an express assurance indication of what may be expected. In Romans chapter 4, verse 18, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old. Where does confusion come from? Considering what you should not. Confusion comes by considering what you should not. He didn't consider his own body. He knew his body was dead, but he didn't consider it. Already dead since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God. He did not vacillate between two opinions. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. He didn't go unbelief, belief, unbelief, belief. But that was not always true, was it? There were times he was in the unbelief area. But when he got the child, he was not wavering. But was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Was Elijah fully convinced? Was he fully convinced that his God would answer by fire? How many of you have a place where you work and it is filled with a whole lot of unsaved people? Yeah, we all bunt in there, right? How many of you would have the same confidence of Elijah? Say, look, that's not falter between different opinions. Either there is a God or there's not a God. So I have it if we build an altar right here and you guys call out to whoever you want to and I'll call out to God. How many feel real confident? <laughs> Elijah was. In Titus chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised before time began. God who cannot lie. He promised this thing. If God promised it, He cannot lie. God cannot lie. If He promised it, it's coming about. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. If God promised, He's faithful. He'll do it. Chapter 11, verse 6. 
But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is every warder of those who diligently seek Him. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah never seen a flood. And God comes down and says, there's going to be a flood, get a, get a boat ready. And He does it. And he spends a hundred years building the boat. A hundred years building the boat. Get this. A hundred years building the boat. Imagine what the neighbors say. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place where he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelled in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob and heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. God has made promises to us. Too often we look at them as possibilities. Too often we look at God's promises as maybe even probabilities. But we're not seeing the faithful God. We're not seeing the God who cannot lie. We're not getting up there and being bold and asserting, My God said it. It will come to pass. We're not having that boldness in Noah who stood up with all his neighbors, I'm going to build an ark because there's a flood coming. Or what? That's a whole lot of work you're putting in. Look at the size of that thing. I mean, you've got like four people in that family. By faith, she judged him faithful who had promised. Here's some other examples of people we've already covered and talked about. The woman with the issue of blood. Well, God, Jesus didn't make any promise to her, did He? But she saw that Jesus had said of Himself that He was to come to heal the sick. He got up in the temple and declared that. She heard that people just had to come and touch the hem of His garment and they were healed. She said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be healed. And she had certainty about her, didn't she? She wasn't wavering. She didn't wonder. She was certain. The nobleman and his dying son. Jesus, you need to come back with me. My son is dying. And Jesus didn't respond to him very favorably. He said, go. Your son's okay. Well, Jesus didn't respond to him real favorably. And just told him to go home. Well, I was expecting a little bit more out of this. I'm not sure what I should do. But he went on home. 24 hours took him to get home. Took him a whole day's journey to get there. Blind Bartimaeus. And he doubted him. Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. Everybody around him saying, hush, 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 keep quiet. Come on, knock it off. Making a ruckus here. He just did it all the louder. The woman from Tyre. Jesus. My daughter, Jesus doesn't even pay any attention to her. Jesus, my daughter, Jesus doesn't, he totally ignores her. Jesus, my daughter, she gets in front of him, worships him. And Jesus says, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. What did he say? You know, the children's bread is not meant for dogs. Now, if she was alive today, most of us would have got out from there and said, I've never called me a dog and gone on our way and still had other problem. 
And she just said, well, if you want to call me a dog, then I guess I am a dog. But even the dogs get to eat the crumbs. I mean, how many of us know that? Dogs were not created yesterday. They did the same thing back then they do now. They know that stuff falls from the table. And if it falls, it's fair game. And so the dog is just waiting for something to fall. Something to fall. And you can go through meal after meal after meal after meal after meal and nothing fall. And you know where that dog is every time you get together for a meal? Waiting. Waiting. Something might fall today. It might just fall today. And if you look at that dog, that dog is anticipating. That dog is anxiously looking. We, got, we were exhorted by our vet, do not feed Tucker any table food. Any table food. He must not have any table food. She did not communicate that to Tucker. I don't know why the vet lets the dog go and doesn't tell the dog, but she didn't tell Tucker. And so we were left with a dog who expected something every time we were eating and would just come up there and just look at you. And he would watch the food. Go to your mouth and watch the food. Go to your mouth and watch the food. Go to your mouth. Constantly. Just didn't stop. All the time. And if you're done eating, he gets down and he finds somebody else is still eating. And he watches them. Waiting and waiting. And day after day, none of us gave him any food from the table. None of us gave him any table scraps. He was under strict doctor's orders. He could not have any. And every day he would get up there and he would look and he would wait. Maybe. With all the enthusiasm of any time before. But no food came to Tucker. And he kept waiting. Even back then the dogs knew we get the stuff that's left over. People like to give us stuff that's left over. And the woman said, even the dogs get the stuff that falls from the master's table. And Jesus said, I haven't seen such faith. You are determined. You are not being... You, you are convinced that this is the way you need to go. All right. You got it. It's all yours. The lame man lowered through the roof. The people bring the, the lame man there. They can't get in. Well, I guess we give it a shot. I mean, we brought you all here. We give it our best shot. Right? Let's go home. We'll try it another night. What do they do? There's a way. We will find a way. We will find a way. They're determined. Elijah was determined. This is how it's going to go. Fire is coming down. I can wait all day. I only need five minutes. I don't need long. It don't take me long. We can get this thing taken care of. Here's the question. Am I confused on a faith project? Am I confused on a faith project? Is there something in faith that I am confused on? If there is, what does it mean? I'm considering something I should not. How did Israel get confused on who was God? They considered something they should not and began to follow idols. How did Eve get confused and eat the tree of the garden? She got confused and considered something that she should not. Folks, we have considered some things we should not. And confusion has set in. Don't let confusion set in. What are the things that you are to consider? What has God said? In the garden, Eve hears the words, Has God really said that? I'm sure we can hear the same words. Has God really said? 
Thou shalt not. Has God really said that? Thou shalt not. Has God really said? Go back to the Word. But how did Jesus combat the devil? Thus it is written. It is written in the Word. This is what the Word says. We need to combat him. We need to become so convinced. The more convinced you are, the more faith you have in what God has said, the more vocal you are about it because you know the end result before it happens. You know the end result before it happens. You can stand up to people who say, oh, how's that high blood pressure coming the doctor said you're going to suffer with? Glory to God, my high blood pressure is coming down. It's coming down. In fact, it's going to be normal blood pressure. Amen. It's going to be... But, but how do you know? Because I know. You watch. You watch. You mark my words. My blood pressure will be normal. Completely. Oh, how's that kidney doing? I hear you got problems with your kidneys. I hear they might be failing. My kidneys are normal. You mark my words. My kidneys are not going anywhere. Speak to them. But know the end result. And be like Elijah. Talk about the end result before it happens. He knew fire was coming down. It wasn't the only time when the people, when the soldiers came to get him. If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and burn you up. Gone. Gone. Where's that confidence? It comes from meditating on the Word of God, knowing what the Word of God says. Father God, you promised this. This is not just possible. This is not just probable. This is promised. You promised this to me. So I'm going to talk like it's mine. I'm going to walk like it's mine. I'm going to expect this is mine because you promised it to me. And you said in your word that you are faithful. You cannot lie. You are faithful to your promise. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you that what you have promised in your word is coming about for us. Healing belongs to us. Our bodies function the way they need to. We know about things when we need to know about them. We have faith in You. We trust in You. We are not going to give in to depression. We are not going to give in to fear. We are not going to give in to anxiety, worry, concern, confusion. Father, we will not consider those things that we should not. We will consider what Your Word says. We will consider what You have said. We'll stay true to you. Father, we thank you for the power of your word working in us. And we are speaking your word because we believe it. We are saying the things that we believe will come about because we trust your promises. We trust your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. We have a testimony before we go. Vanessa had a testimony. I knew there was something that was going on. We'd like to hear some testimonies from, from you all as you are putting the Word of God to work, as you are going out and speaking to things, kidneys and high blood pressure or whatever it is you're coming up. Come and testify about it. Let people know what's going on. Amen. It's on. Okay. Um, you seen my husband walking around. He has a limp. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, on Wednesday, he was involved in an accident with my car. And I guess you're wondering, how is that a testimony? Well, um, it's in relation to what didn't happen. 
The obvious thing is he wasn't killed. Thank you, Jesus. Um, he did get a gash in his knee, but what didn't happen, well, he was seated pretty close to the um, steering wheel, which is where I see, he didn't move the seat back, but I sit pretty close to the, to the steering wheel so my feet can touch the pedals. And he doesn't like to move the seat, so I don't have to fidget with the seat when I get back in the car after he uses it. But when the airbag deployed, um, a lot of people get injured from the airbag, so he didn't get any chest injuries. The airbag did hit him in the face, but his glasses weren't broken, and um, he wasn't injured any more than he is. So I just thank God for that. Yeah. <laughs> the car got pretty banged up. We heard it might be might be totaled. We're still waiting, I guess, to hear the, the verdict from that, but. That happened Wednesday afternoon. He came in here Wednesday night, get the sound ready for church. <laughs> he, he was still going to town with that. Just got nine stitches and, and all that. But, yeah, being closer and uh, being closer because the seat was moved up and the airbag not doing any damage was was, uh, was something 